The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus and his disciples left from there and began a journey through Galilee. But he did not wish anyone to know about it. He was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be handed over to men, and they will kill him. And three days after his death, the Son of Man will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to question him. They came to Capernaum, and once inside the house, he began to ask them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they remained silent. They had been discussing among themselves on the way who was the greatest. Then he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone wishes to be first, he shall be the last of all and the servant of all. Taking a child, he placed it in their midst, and putting his arms around it, he said to them, Whoever receives one child such as this in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but the one who sent me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. We are reading through a section of St. Mark's Gospel, which is remarkable for something unusual. And that's highlighted at the very beginning of the text we just heard. Jesus is passing through Galilee, and he doesn't want anyone to know about it. There are words and teachings in the gospel that Jesus directs, that Jesus speaks to everybody. And then there's a teaching that he doesn't speak to just anybody, but to certain people. And we are in that section of St. Mark's gospel. Here we see not Jesus preaching to the world. He's already done that. And that preaching to the world has attracted a group that is now with him. And as he moves now toward Jerusalem, where he will lay down his life for our salvation, there's a change in the teaching of the Lord. Because now he's not addressing the great crowds anymore. He's speaking very directly to those who have made a choice to be with him. In other words, he's speaking to you. He's not speaking to the rest of the world right now. He's speaking to you and to me and to those of us who have found ourselves in this place. And why would that be? in no small measure because there's an element of the teaching of Jesus, which shouldn't be surprising, that is only accessible when one has made an investment in him, when one has been trying to follow him. And so now the Lord 
turning to those who have been trying to follow him, who know him to some degree, the Lord says, now I have something that you are ready for. Note how important that is. The fact that as we grow spiritually, as we invest our lives in following Christ, more of who Christ is opens up to us. In fact, the Lord leads us as he led his disciples to this point where now they have a chance of understanding what it is he needs to share with them. We heard the first note of that last week when the Lord asked what the world says about Jesus and what his followers said about him, and then the Lord spoke for himself. This is who I am. Now the Lord continues that trend, having revealed last week a certain sense of who he is and what it means to follow him. Jesus doesn't change the subject. He continues with it. But let's be honest, and you don't have to raise your hands because this isn't confession, but how many of us have had that experience when we hear something that we don't want to hear, we stop listening. When we hear something that we don't want to hear, we change the subject. When we hear something that we don't want to hear, we pretend it wasn't said at all. How many of us have had the experience of when we're asked to do something or told not to do something, instinctively we do the opposite? This natural tendency of the human heart lives in the hearts of Jesus' disciples just like it lives in ours. And that is what Jesus is addressing now over these weeks. The Lord has a teaching that his church must receive, and he wants to prepare his church to receive it, but it's not easy to receive. In fact, there's something inside us that as the Lord tries to give it to us, pulls away from him. This is something about what the Apostle James is getting at in his letter. And what a, what a marvelously accurate and yet disturbing picture of the human heart the Apostle paints for us in that letter. He describes the human heart as at war within itself, struggling with urges that run in all kinds of directions and that seize control of life and how the human heart wants to grab after what it thinks is fulfilling, what it thinks is happiness, and it seeks to seize it for itself. And as aggressive as the heart can be, all it ever holds on to is air. It grabs nothing solid. You long for so much, the apostle says, and you have nothing. You take, and you take, and you take, and you're never satisfied. There's this aching hunger, this aching need, this emptiness in the heart that tries to fill itself, that tries to seize happiness and goodness without knowing even where to look. This is what 
lives in us and gets in our way. And so here it is that the apostle says that it's selfish ambition and this kind of grasping character that is the source of so much that is wrong in our own lives and in the world around us. And the teaching that Jesus is giving runs directly up against this. This deep-seated, aggressive emptiness and woundedness that lives in the human heart. And so what does the Lord do? He's going to Galilee with his disciples, and just as we heard him do last week, he stops along the way. Just like our gathering to Mass on Sunday is a stopping point along the way with the Lord. And he stops along the way and says, you who have been with me, you who desire to continue with me, I want to share with you where we're going. We sometimes think the Lord doesn't give us a game plan, but he often does. The problem is we don't like the plan he gives us. And so the Lord says to them, let me explain to you, let me prepare you for what is coming. Now on the one hand, what is coming is the salvation of the world. And that is where Jesus is leading his disciples, to their salvation, and the salvation of the world of which they will be a part, and to which they will be witnesses, and of which they will be messengers. And so the Lord is taking them because he wants them involved in what is to come. But to do that, he has to prepare them. And that sounds wonderful. The Lord prepares us. But again, we run into the issue of, but we don't want to be prepared. And so the Lord says, this is where I am going. The Son of Man will be arrested, condemned, and put to death. Aren't you glad you signed on for that trip? This is where I am going. And note how strong Jesus is. Note how insistent the Lord is. We are going someplace. And if you're with me, this is where we're going. There's not an alternate destination. I am going to Jerusalem. I will suffer. I will be put to death. And you know right now, everybody is stopping listening. Right now, everyone is saying, can we vote on this? Maybe Google Maps has another route for us? And we hear this. The statement is they're troubled by what he says, but they, and they don't understand it, but they are afraid to ask. And why are we afraid to ask things? Because we're afraid of what the answer might be. You know, it's, they're not afraid to look dumb. They're afraid of what the answer is going to be. We do this all the time. We find ways to avoid speaking to one another in our regular family relationships because we assume the answer is going to be something we don't want to hear. And so it's best not to ask the question. And so note, the Lord is trying to offer something, and it's difficult to receive. 
and they don't understand it, but that hesitancy in the heart is afraid to say, tell me more. Help me understand. Explain it to me. But unless the Lord explain it, how will we ever know? Note what they're left with. If they don't ask the Lord for the explanation, all they can do is make stuff up. And this is where the religious heart goes wrong time and time again. Rather than submit to the will and the teaching of the Lord, we'd rather make stuff up, decide for ourselves. But all we need to do is look at this fallen world and the tragedy within it and see what happens when we insist on our own way. If our way was so good, we wouldn't need a savior. This word that Jesus is teaching, this key to who he is, this key to following him is the word of his cross. And notice how Jesus doesn't water it down. He doesn't compromise it. He insists on it. Last week we heard, if you want to follow me, deny yourself and take up your cross. Note Jesus is sounding the same note now because he knows we have a hard time with this. And so he's going to say it again, and he's going to say it again because he knows his disciples don't want to receive it. Those of you who are mothers or fathers who at times have to speak to your children and you know they don't want to receive what you say, Jesus knows that experience really, really well. But he doesn't let his church wear him down. He insists on who he is and what his mission is. And he won't do it our way. He demands that we do it his way. And so the Lord says, this is the way. There is no other mission. There is no other outcome. There is no other manner in which this will happen because this is my way. But the word of the cross is a hard word. It's the word that we need to understand Jesus. And it's the word that the world doesn't want and can't understand. That's why Jesus doesn't give it to the world. He gives it to the church. The world has a different word of the cross. We hear that in the first reading. We don't like the just one because he makes us feel bad and he's inconvenient. So we will reject him, we will persecute him, and we will make him suffer to see how good he really is. That's what the world understands of the cross. So Jesus looks at his church and says, you need to understand the cross differently. You need to understand what is happening to me, not in a worldly way, but in God's way, in my way. I am going to the cross not because the world decided it's going to test me. That's not why Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus doesn't die on the cross simply because evil men decide to put him to death. Jesus dies on the cross because he chooses to. Jesus dies on the cross because he chooses to receive the nail of every wound anybody who has ever lived has received. Jesus dies on the cross because he chooses to freely lay his life down 
and embrace all of that woundedness that we try to hide from. Because when the Lord embraces us there, we know he loves us completely. And so that unlovable part of my life, that broken part of my life that is too terrible for anyone to accept, well, Jesus is going to accept that. He's going to nail himself to that. That's how much he loves us. And so the Lord insists, I have come to lay myself aside, not to climb over you, but to lift you to where I have come from. It's the great mystery of the Christian faith. Jesus falls, and we are lifted. Jesus becomes poor, and we become rich. This is his spirit. So the Lord's not just giving a roadmap for where we're going. The Lord is saying, this is who I am. This is what it means to share my life and be with me. And on the other side of the cross is the glory of the resurrection, a life greater than anything this world has seen. That's where we're going. We don't stop at the cross, but we're going there. And from the cross, there is life and there is glory. And note how clever Jesus is. He knows exactly what's going on in the hearts of his disciples, and they're having a hard time with this. And he knows it's exactly that restless and reckless ambition that lives in the heart, that fear of missing out, that desire to get ahead, that is firing off against this word of self-giving. Because that's what happens. When we're challenged to be generous, our selfishness asserts itself. When we're challenged to be patient, our anger asserts itself. And so it is here. The word of the cross provokes something in the disciples. And so Jesus says, well, you guys were fighting about something. What was it? And once again, nobody will say anything. It's like that room full of brothers and sisters who've been beating on each other for the last 20 minutes, and mom and dad walk in and say, what were you guys doing? Nothing. Nothing at all. And so Jesus doesn't even waste time trying to get them to speak. He knows what their hearts are saying. He knows they've been arguing about who's the most important, who's the best, who's the most necessary, all of that foolishness that we preoccupy ourselves with, all of that competition for status, for place, for importance that causes nothing but division. And so Jesus just says, if you really want to be first, since that's what you're fighting about, then learn to be last. If you really want to have the top spot, then learn to go to the lower one, because that's my way. That's my way. What a remarkable teaching that is. But this reminder that to be with me requires a willingness to lay yourself aside. And the Lord doesn't ask us to do anything he hasn't done first and hasn't done perfectly before us. In fact, in a couple minutes, in a couple minutes, you're going to come forward 
right here to the front of the sanctuary. And Jesus is going to be here. Your eyes are stuck looking at me and Father Pete, but Jesus is going to be here. And we're going to hold him, but note, he's going to show himself to you as a tiny circle of bread. No gold crown. No remarkable light of glory before your eyes. Note how humble he is. The glorious Lord of all creation is pleased to hide himself under the disguise of a piece of bread. And you're going to come forward, and you're going to stretch out your hand to him. And it's not that you're going to take him, because we don't take Holy Communion. We receive. Remember what James said. The problem is you don't ask. You don't know how to receive. And so we come forward as those who are poor, whose spirits are starving. And the Lord says, see that starvation in yourself and know that I, and only I, can fill that hunger. Stretch out your hand and receive me. But when we receive him, we receive the one who makes himself poor, that we might be rich. We receive the one who makes himself small, that we might be great. We receive the one who falls under the weight of the cross, so that we can be lifted up out of our brokenness. That's who you receive. When Jesus called the disciples to that place apart, away from the world, all he really wanted to do was say, learn to receive me this way. How good it is that we can do that for real right now. Not in metaphor, not in theory, but in reality. But the Lord says, how you receive me matters. Receive me how I am. Receive me for who I am. The Son of Man will die, and the Son of Man will rise. That is who I am. Receive me. And in doing so, receive the very best of all that life can be for you. Amen.